a couple weeks ago, we started a new series on the book of Exodus. And I love the book of Exodus because it tells us so much about God's heart to redeem his people. It tells us so much about God's intention to redeem his people, that he is continuously planning and plotting for your redemption, that he is continuously making plans to draw you closer to him. And really, the book of Exodus begins with the story of Moses, whose life is kind of a thread that runs through the entire book. And we've really continued to spend quite a bit of time on the early days in the life of Moses because it lays the foundation for all that will be done throughout the rest of the book. And so if you haven't been with us or you're unfamiliar with Moses' story, Moses was born at a very uncertain time where the ruler of his nation was actually trying to eliminate all baby boys. And so he's born into hostility. He's born at a time where his life should have been at risk. His life should have been taken. And yet somehow through a miraculous string of events, he's not only saved, he's not only preserved, but he's raised in the palace of the very person who wanted him killed. And then we see that his story is not just one of preservation, but one of preparation. That all throughout his childhood, God is placing him in places where he can be prepared for the call of God on his life. That he can be prepared to fulfill his purpose in life. And last week, we looked at kind of the, the seminal moment that a lot of people think of when they think of Moses. When they think of Moses, so many people think of this moment at the burning bush where it says that Moses sees a bush that is on fire, but it is not being burned up and he gives his attention to it. And last week we talked about the importance of giving your attention to what God is doing and moving and taking steps towards what God is doing. Because it was in that moment that Moses saw the burning bush, that he moved towards the burning bush, that God began to speak into his life the direction of his life. That God began to reveal to Moses what the next season of his life would look like. And we kind of ended the story where Moses hears God's voice. God calls to Moses. Moses says, here I am. And then God begins to lay out the plan that he has for Moses. And I love this moment. Because at this point in Moses' life, he seems like the least likely person to be used by God. He's getting advanced in age. He's tending someone else's sheep. He's kind of wandering in the desert. But it's at this moment that God chooses to speak to him, and not just to speak to him, but God speaks to him in a way where it is undeniable that he has been called by God that it is undeniable that God has spoken into his life. It's this miraculous moment of the burning bush. But, but I think the problem when we read stories like the story of Moses, the problem with these burning bush moments in the Bible is that when we begin to think about the call of God on our lives, we think of burning bush moments. We look for burning bush moments. When we're searching for the call of God on our life, we're waiting for that one miraculous moment where it becomes completely cleared that we are called, that there is no doubt that we are called. But what we're reminded of in the story of Moses is that Moses was called before the moment of the burning bush. That Moses' purpose was laid out before the moment of the burning bush. And the same is true for me and you. See, I, I, would, I would wager that in this room, there are some of you who are questioning the call of God on your life. 
questioning whether you actually are called, questioning whether you have missed the call, questioning whether you are in the right place to receive the call. In some form or another, you're questioning the call of God on your life. Because as I've, I've had conversations with people through the years, what I've often found is that usually people tend to put people into two categories when it comes to the call of God. They, they think of people like pastors and missionaries and people who do, quote unquote, God's work. And they say, those are the people who are called. And then there are people like me. There are people like me who just work an everyday job and go through my life. And, and we don't really have the call of God on our lives. That is for other people. But, but what I want to remind you of this morning is that each and every person has the call of God on their life. In fact, the Bible kind of outlines three ways that all people are called. And when I say all people, I don't even just mean all Christians. Because the call of God begins, the Bible says, that God calls not just the righteous, but the sinner. In other words, the call of God doesn't begin with something you do. It begins with someone you are called to. See, God has called each and every person that he's created unto himself. God has called people to draw near to him. And so when you kind of break down the call of God on your life, the, the first call that you received before you even understood or knew what God had done for you is the call of salvation. And the question for the call of salvation is not whether you have been called to God, but whether you answer that call. God is calling and drawing everyone unto himself. Everyone is called to salvation. And the second thing that everyone is called to, it's after you enter into this life of salvation, after you enter into this life of understanding what God has done for you, you are then called to be set apart. The Bible talks about being set apart and being holy. And I specifically love what Paul says in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Because he's writing to the church of Ephesus. And this is for all of you who would maybe say that you fit into that second category where you say, I I'm not really the called type of person. I'm not really the type of person who is going to be doing ministry, who's going to be pastoring, who's going to be traveling the world, preaching the gospel. I just work my everyday job. And that is the extent of my life. But Paul is writing this book to, or this letter to the church of Ephesus. And Ephesus at the time was one of the largest cities in Rome, one of the most influential cities in Rome. And it was a port city, which means he was not writing this letter to missionaries and pastors. He was writing this letter to a congregation of people who every day went and worked at the port. They went and they captained ships and they fished and they unloaded ships and they loaded ships. They worked their everyday jobs. And this is what he said in Ephesians chapter four. He said, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. Live a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. He's speaking to people who live their everyday lives, doing their everyday jobs, raising their families, going to work, showing up, putting in the work. He's not talking to these burning bush moment people that get the call of God in this flash of light. He's talking to the people who, who think that they are not called. And he's reminding them that they are in fact called. And not only that they are called, but that they are called to live a life that is set apart. 
And so it's like, once you are called to a person, you are then called to a way of life. And then it's kind of that third phase of calling. You're called to serve. Each and every person that, that, that has met Jesus, that has a relationship with Jesus, that begins to live that life that is set apart at some point is called into service. And see, this is the moment that we are at with Moses. Moses has already been doing these other things. He's already been serving God. He's already been faithfully living his life set apart. He's already been faithfully stewarding the job that he's been given to do. And that is when he has this burning bush moment called into service, called to do a specific thing. And that is where we so often get hung up looking for these burning bush moments. See, we serve, we look for the call, but really what we need to do is do what Moses did. Moses didn't go looking for the call of God in his life. Moses served the season that he was in and the call of God found him. See, so often we are, are, are unsatisfied serving the season that we're in. And so often the questions begin when we're serving the season we're in because the season we're in doesn't look that dramatic. The season we're in doesn't look like the burning bush moments that we expect. See, what we need to do is quit searching for the call of God in our lives and begin serving the season we're in and trust that God will find us in our faithfulness in that season. God will find us in our faithfulness in those moments. But what I've, what I've seen, not only in my own life, not in the lives of others, but here in the story of Moses is that something always begins to happen when you hit that moment where you're called into service, where God is specifically calling you to serve and walk out a specific service for him. And we pick up the story in Exodus 3, verses 7 through 14. It says this, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of Israel has reached me, and I have seen the way of the Egyptians, the way they are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites up out of Egypt? Have you ever said yes to something before you were fully aware of the commitment that you were making. And then once you realized the extent of that commitment, you regretted saying yes to that commitment. This is kind of the, the, the moment that Moses is in. Uh, about 10 years ago now, my uh, younger niece on Kristen's side of the family, it, it was going to be her birthday on a day that they were visiting us. And she had in her mind at the time, she was young, she had in her mind that she wanted this really elaborate cake that looked like a birthday package and it had a pink bow tied on top of it. She had seen this cake somewhere. And her mom and her grandmother had basically said, we can't make that cake. But they were coming to our house, and my mom, growing up, was, a, was like an incredible baker. She made wedding cakes. She made these really elaborate cakes. I saw the cake, and I was like, I could make that cake. I could, I, I've, seen, I've seen cakes made my whole life. I could make that cake. 
And so I call my mom, I send her a picture, I ask her for the list of things I need for the cake. She sends me a list. About eight o'clock the night before my niece is coming to our house, I'm like, I'm gonna get started on this cake. So I call my mom and I say, what should I do first? And she explains uh, a certain material. It doesn't matter, but it's called fondant and you work with it and you make shapes out of it. And she was like, you're gonna wanna start with that and make the bow out of that because you're gonna have to string a piece of PVC pipe up and make each individual loop. And then those take about 12 hours to dry. And I was like, 12 hours to dry? This, does not, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I thought I was doing. I thought this cake looked pretty simple. And so I, I proceeded to stay on Skype with my mom almost the entire night. I was up till 5 a.m. till I, from, from 8 o'clock to 5 a.m. working on this cake. Took a two-hour nap. Then my uh, fondant bow was dry. And I assembled the cake together. And then they got there at about 9 o'clock in the morning. And we presented her with the cake, which she loved. But what I expected to be about a two- or three-hour commitment turned into a week being ruined. Because I don't know about you, but I can't miss a whole night of sleep and be okay within a few days. I miss an entire night of sleep making this cake that I never expected to take as long as it would take because I said yes before I knew. I said yes before I counted the cost of what it would actually take to make the cake. See, what I think is interesting about the story of Moses is up until this point when he sees the burning bush, we don't actually hear anything from Moses. We just see his life. The, the, the first few chapters are just telling us what is happening in Moses' life. This is when he was born. This is how he was raised. This is the situation he got himself in. The first words we actually hear from Moses are when God calls him and Moses says, here I am. But he has not yet heard what God has to say to him. And the second words we hear from Moses are, who am I? And so the question is, how do you get from the confidence of here I am to the insecurity of who I am or of who, who am I in just a few short moments? Because what tends to happen is when you see the gravity of all that God can do through your life, you tend to doubt and feel insecure. You, you tend to doubt and insecure and in, be, feel insecure. And in this moment, Moses has said, here am I, but then he wasn't quite expecting the extent of what God had in store for him. And what begins to happen in those moments is that we begin to question the call of God on our life. See, so far what we've seen from Moses is that he was prepared for the call and then he was positioned for the call. But then once he actually got that call, he began to question the call. And he really goes through the same questions that we go through when we begin to face the purpose that God has for our lives. And he begins with this idea of, am I qualified? Am I qualified for what you're calling me to do? Because if I've seen one thing in my life, if I've seen one thing throughout scripture, it's, it's this idea that if the enemy cannot get you to question whether or not you are called, he will get you to question whether or not you are qualified. Because it really has the same result. It really has the same result. You can go through life questioning whether you are even called and you will not take steps in that call. But then if you actually do feel the conviction that God has called me to do something, as long as you feel unqualified, you will also never take steps towards the purpose that God has for you. And so he begins to question the call of God on his life. And throughout that chapter, almost everything we hear from that point on are questions from Moses, are questions from him. 
And so he goes through verse after verse and he asks, who do I tell them sent me? What shall I tell them? What if they don't believe me? I have never been eloquent. And then he ends with the last thing we hear from Moses midway through chapter four for a while. He simply says, please send someone else. And so Moses' story begins with, here I am, God, and ends with, send someone else. And we always hear this idea of God, here I am, send me. But our reaction is really generally more like Moses's, which is, God, here I am, but send someone else. Because now that I've heard, now that I've seen, now that I know what it's going to cost me, now that I know how it's going to stretch me, now that I know how, much, how afraid I am of what you're saying, I would rather you just send someone else. See, what happens is that when you believe that you are unfit, you become unwilling. And that's where Moses is in this moment. He is convinced that he is unfit for what God is calling him to. And so he becomes unwilling and he says, send someone else. But this is why I love Moses' story. This is why I've always been so drawn to Moses' story because I think so often when we hear Bible stories, when we hear stories of people who accomplished great things for God, they're always kind of the ones who are taking charge, raising their hand. We hear of David who steps in when he shouldn't even be in the battle and kind of raises his hand and he says, I will fight Goliath. We hear of Paul who faces unbelievable, unbelievable setbacks, unbelievable resistance and continues to press forward. But I don't know about you, a lot of times I feel more like Moses Moses, who says, you know, really, someone else could do this better than me. Re really, I don't, re not only am I not raising my hand, I'm saying, could you please pick someone else? Because I, I feel unfit, and so I become unwilling. And I, I don't know about you, but there are times where I feel inadequate. There are times where I feel like I'm not enough. And it's amazing how Moses's questions about God's call turn into statements about his own ability. See, Moses began with a statement. He began with an open heart, here I am. But then he begins to ask questions but he stops asking questions and he returns to statements. But this time the statements are not, here I am. They are, I've never been eloquent and please send someone else. Because if you sit with the questions of your qualifications too long, you'll begin to believe that you're unfit and you will not take steps towards your purpose. Moses begins to find excuses for why he cannot do what God is calling him to do. We continue in Exodus chapter four, verse 10, where Moses says unto the Lord, "'O Lord, I have never been eloquent.'" neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. Now, I love that because he's just spoken to him. And obviously Moses does not feel any better about his abilities because he says, I've never been eloquent, not in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. And I think so often that's what we want to happen. We, we want God to speak into our lives what he, want, what he wants us to do. And then we want to immediately feel like we have this supernatural jolt of qualification to say, oh yeah, I can do what you've called me to do. I, I can just feel that I can do what you've called me to do. But that, that's not what Moses has in this moment. He says, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. Now, I, I think it's so interesting here that Moses says, I am slow of speech. Because 
the only other area in scripture where we hear Moses' ability to speak mentioned is in the book of Acts when one of the apostles named Stephen is actually giving the only sermon he will ever give because he's killed for the boldness within this sermon. And he's giving this sermon and he references Moses. And in like three or four verses, he tells Moses' entire story. And he says, now Moses was mighty in words. Now, Moses was mighty in words. In fact, the exact way he says it is that Moses was educated in the palace and he was mighty in words. In other words, because Moses was educated in the palace, because he got the best education available to him, he was mighty in words. But at this moment, when Moses is wandering in the desert and he sees the burning bush and God calls on him, he says, I'm slow in speech, yet this is after Moses was educated in the palace which the Bible tells us made him mighty in words. And so sometimes I think we accept this idea that Moses was slow in speech and God stepped in and made him good at something he wasn't good at. But I think it's a lot more likely that actually Moses was just bad at assessing his own abilities. That, that Moses felt slow in speech because the only person in scripture who says that Moses was slow in speech was Moses. And the only other time that someone describes Moses, he is described not only as not slow in speech, but as mighty in words, that, that his ability to use words was actually a strength, that it was actually something that he was very good at. And I think it's so interesting how when God calls us to take steps, the first person to doubt their ability is yourself. The first person to begin to describe yourself as unfit is yourself. And this is why what we talked about last week with surrounding yourself with the right people is so important. Because in those moments where you feel slow in speech, there are people who can remind you that you are in fact mighty in words. That you are in fact good at the thing God is calling you to do. But what I find so interesting in this moment is that the reason we don't know in this moment if Moses is actually mighty in speech or if he is slow in speech is that God doesn't actually address his ability at all. See, I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation where someone is kind of down on themselves, but our natural tendency in those kind of conversations is to build them up. And that's appropriate. That's proper. Our natural, our natural reaction is to say, no, listen, don't talk about yourself that way. You, you are mighty in words. You are good at this. I'm going to build you up. But that is not what God does in this moment. Because God has something better to offer than just words of affirmation. God has something better to offer than just to say, no, no, you are actually good at this. All God offers in this moment is he reminds Moses that he was the one who made him and that he will be with him. He, he doesn't say anything about Moses' ability. He just reminds him of his presence in the situation. And this is so important because if God in that moment had said, no, no, Moses, I created you and you are good at speech, then what that does is it again puts the burden of results on Moses' ability because then it puts it back on Moses to say, okay, yeah, I'm good at this. I can take these steps forward. What God is saying in this moment is it doesn't really matter whether you're bad at this or good at this. All that matters is that I have said, I will be with you that I will tell you what to say, that I will direct you and I will teach you what to say. See, I think so often when we, when we think about the call of God on our lives, we think we have to be extraordinary. Yeah. We think that we have to be good enough. 
We think that our abilities have to match the call that God has placed on our life. When really it's not about our adequacy, it's not about our eloquence, it's not about what we can do, it's about the fact that when God has called us, he has also promised to be with us. See, the problem when we are called, when the problem is when we step into the purpose that God has for our lives, is that we tend to forget to take God into account. And that is why we question the call. Because when we see what it is that God wants us to do, we immediately know in our own strength and our own ability, this is not something we could accomplish. So surely you must need to pick somebody else. But God is reminding Moses that it's not about picking somebody else. It's about his presence, that his presence is adequate even for the inadequate, that his presence can fill in the gaps of anything that we need, but we do not take God's presence into account. There was uh, a few years back, several years back now, when we were having our second daughter, we were in the hospital and we had obviously had our older child, Bella, and it had been a few years. We were with the same doctor and the doctor comes in the room and she was kind of like a zany old lady and I loved her. And uh, she was just kind of like fun. She's like a fun, fun presence in the room. And she walks in when it's time to start actually delivering the baby. She walks in, she opens the door and she says, she immediately points to me and she says, you've seen this, you want to do it? And I was like, do what? She's like, deliver the baby. And I was like, Sure because I didn't think she was for real. And she, she goes, great, wash up at the sink, I'll be back with some scrubs, and walks out of the room. And something about how she gave actual instruction after that was like, wait a second, we're not doing this. I'm not, I'm not delivering this baby. But she comes back with some scrubs. We sit down on the edge of the bed, and she walks me through delivering my daughter, Sophia. And I just have to tell you, it was the biggest rush of my life. When that child came out, I wanted to Lion King that baby so bad. You know, just, it's, hey! And um, because there's just something just incredible about the, this moment of life. But, but the, I could have never just sat down and delivered a baby, no matter how many times she told me I could do it. The only way that it actually happened was that she sat right next to me and every step of the way told me what to do, told me how to do it, walked me through the entire process. And this is what God is promising in that moment because see, God is sending you into battle and our temptation is to fight God's battles without God's presence. Our temptation is to fight his battles without his presence. And the enemy is fine with you fighting God's battles without God's presence. He's fine with you stepping into battle without God's presence as long as you are trying in your own strength. See, if God had made Moses feel adequate, Moses would have felt the burden of having to be adequate. But God in his kindness said, listen, let's not even worry about how you feel. Let's not even worry about your eloquence. Let's not even worry about how adequate you feel. Just remember that I will be with you. But when you begin to question the call, it always begins with, am I qualified? And then it moves to, do I have what it takes? Like, do I actually have what it takes? And we see this exchange with Moses in chapter four, beginning in verse one through verses five. Again, Moses is questioning, and he says, what if they do not believe me or listen to what I say? What if they say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it, as would I. 
Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. When he questioned whether he had what he needed to have, God said, what is that in your hand? And that staff probably felt or looked a lot like Moses felt unimpressive and inadequate, but it was what he had in his hand. It was what he had available to him. See, that staff would have been a a picture of Moses's identity and his security at that time, because that staff let everybody know that Moses was a shepherd. It related to his identity, that that staff was his way of protecting not just himself, but the sheep that he was responsible for. And in that moment, God says, why don't you just throw it on the ground? And you are going to have to be willing to let go of some things that you believe protect you and define you if you are going to fulfill the purpose of God in your life. You're going to have to be willing to let them go and allow God to do what only he can do with them. He says, throw it on the ground. And I think it's no mistake that the Bible tells us that when it turned into a snake, he ran from it. Because Moses is used to running from things. It's 40 years removed, so it doesn't really feel like it. But in this moment, Moses is running from his past. Moses is running from the past mistakes that he made. Moses is running from the decisions he made. Moses is running from the family that he was connected to. Moses is constantly on the run, so he runs from this snake. And then God says, return to it and pick it up. And he forced Moses in that moment to face his fear to step into his purpose. And I can tell you that if you are going to step into your purpose, if you are going to fulfill the call of God on your life, you are going to have to face some fears. You are going to have to quit running from some things that you would normally run from. You are going to have to run toward some things that bring fear to you. See, in this moment, as God is telling Moses to return to something he was afraid of in order to liberate his people, he tells him in that same moment, now return to that staff that you are afraid of and pick it up. And it turns back into a staff. God said, face your fears. And I love that in that moment, God says, I'm going to use this ordinary stick. I'm going to use this staff to prove that I am with you. In the same way that I can use you, an ordinary shepherd, I'm going to use this symbol of what you do to do something extraordinary. See, Moses carried that staff and it was just a staff for decades. He he picked that thing up somewhere along his journey. And can I just tell you that God is going to use some things that you've picked up along your journey in order to prove that he can do amazing things through you. Things that seem ordinary, things that seem regular, and he's going to do extraordinary things through them. See, all throughout Moses' story, We see when when there needs to be a miracle, when he's at the end of his rope, when only God can intervene, God comes back to him and God says, hey, why don't we use that staff again? Because when he goes into Pharaoh, he turns the staff into a snake. But then later, when they come to a dead end and the Red Sea needs to be parted, they need a way through. God says, lift up your staff and the Red Sea is parted. 
when they have no water to drink and they're grumbling and complaining that they're all going to die in the wilderness, God says, see that rock over there? Strike it with your staff. And it's like he's constantly reminding Moses that every time you need a miracle in your life, you are already in possession of something I can use to see it through that you have already picked up something along the journey that I can use to see you through to, through the miracle. He kept using this ordinary thing to do extraordinary things. But you know what I love about that is Moses' staff was just a staff more than it was anything extraordinary. It, it was it was a snake for a few brief moments. It was used to bring water from a rock for a few brief moments. It was used to split the Red Sea for a few brief moments. But the majority of the time, it was just something ordinary that he carried with him. It was something ordinary that he stewarded. But in the moment that God wanted to use it for something extraordinary, it was available because Moses had it with him and because he was stewarding it. And I wonder what ordinary things in our own lives we are underestimating God's ability to use. I wonder what things we've picked up along our journey that we think are just ordinary things that God can turn into extraordinary things. And I wonder how often God is asking us, can you steward your ordinary everyday life in such a way that when it needs to be extraordinary in a moment, I can use it? Are you stewarding your marriage in such a way that I can use it to be extraordinary when I need to? Are you stewarding your business? Are you stewarding your parenting? Are you stewarding your relationships in such a way? They might seem ordinary most of the time. Most days they might just seem ordinary, but in a moment I can do something extraordinary with them because you are faithfully serving. You are faithfully using them. You are faithfully stewarding what I have given you. That if you will steward and take care of that thing so that when you're ready, I can turn it into something miraculous. See, see, I can tell you this morning that if you are questioning the call of God on your life, we can put to rest the idea of whether or not you are called. You are called. You are called unto God for salvation. You are called to be set apart and you are called into service. And the life that you've lived up into this point, the life that you've stewarded up into this point, you have picked up more things along the way than you are even aware of that God is going to use for extraordinary moments for the benefit of other people. And they just seem ordinary to you. They just seem regular to you, but God has the ability to take the extraordinary or the ordinary and make it extraordinary. He has the ability to take it and make it more than it could ever be in just your hands. If you're willing to let it go, if you're willing to trust him with it, and then if you're willing to steward it on those ordinary days, would you stand with me all across this room this morning, every head bowed and every eye closed?